All of us have come here today for different reasons and from different places in life, but we share a whole lot in common. We share a, really a whole world uh, in common, a world filled with division, a fear, uncertainty, disappointment, as it said, and confusion. Whether you found your way to us uh, online today or are here in person, whether you're watching this now or happened on to the link at some future date, we all, we're all in the same boat. Some of you are here because, you know, it's just the traditional thing to do. Others may have come because a, a friend invited you, or maybe you're tuning in because somebody who really cares about you sent you the link. Or maybe because of our Easter sign out there near the street. Or maybe you were drugged here by a parent. <laughs> kind of like the kid who said, my parents got me into drugs. They drugged me here and drugged me there. All my <laughs> But under it all, could it be? that God brought you here? Could it be that he did it because he wants to turn Easter for you into something that's uh, traditional from that into something that's transformational? Maybe you've never met Christ personally, or maybe you're just going through the motions and you have been for a while and you need to recommit yourself to him after a time of kind of straying away. There's a lot that can happen when we remember the meaning uh, of the resurrection. And today I'd like to give you what you might call good uh, news that you can use. News that you can use in a real life that can be overwhelming for us all. So what is the meaning of the Easter anyway? And why does it matter? Is it really all about, you know, Easter egg hunts and chocolate rabbits kid, uh, and whatnot? Kids get this so mixed up, and often it's because of us adults. Like the kid who said, Easter is when Jesus hid eggs for the disciples to find, and then he turned all the rabbits into chocolate. <laughs> or another one said, I love Jesus. At, at Christmas, he's born, and I get presents. At Easter, he dies, and I get chocolate. <laughs> Someone said, we celebrate Jesus dying on a cross and rising again by getting a giant bunny rabbit to hide chocolate eggs. I can't help but feel that there's a massive gap in information somewhere here. <laughs> and indeed there is. So today I'd like to close that gap that right now is filled too often with, with egg hunts and bunnies and peeps and all the rest. What does the res resurrection really mean? And why does it matter? There are well over a billion people who are celebrating Easter all around the world. How is it that something that could happen 2,000 years ago could, you know, still cause traffic jams today? The whole city of Jerusalem and the whole Roman Empire knew about it. It was news back then. If CNN had been there, they would have had it live. There are at least 16 verified historical references to Jesus meeting people and actually touching people and eating with people and talking to people after he was crucified. One time he cooked breakfast for his disciples. Another time he talked to 500 people after he had risen from the dead. A lot of people saw him. But you might be thinking it may be true historically, but what difference does it make? What does the resurrection mean for me personally. One pastor said that Easter means three very simple things. 
And whether you've never come to God or whether you've strayed from him or are walking with him right now, really knowing these things can change your life. One, Jesus is who he claimed to be. Two, he has the power that he claimed to have. And three, he did what he promised he would do. Today, to do justice to the Easter story, I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. I'd like to bring in a lot more than uh, just my voice today. So I'll be sharing more of what this pastor said. You might say you'll be hearing some two-part harmony. I'll weave him in all through this message. And on top of this, we'll weave together a lot of what, uh, of what others have said. And it will end up being a chorus of voices speaking for millions and millions of others who have witnessed the resurrection with their own lives and who can't help but talk about it and who don't want to call attention to anyone but him. Just like this pastor who said he wanted me to leave his name out, which I really admire in our culture of people who want their name to be known. Some of them may have turned you off to Christianity, and I don't blame you. But we're not all that way. Not all Christians are like what you may see or hear in public. True believers are more like those 500 ordinary people way back then at the beginning who witnessed the resurrection and who talked about it but who stayed anonymous. And now there's like a whole symphony, a choral symphony around the world where what stands out is not any one of us or it's not supposed to stand out with any one of us, but what stands out is uh, all him. It's all about what one of our nation's leading newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, called the Easter, this is the title of the article uh, a couple years ago, The Easter Effect and How It Changed the World. And boy, did it. And that's what I'd like to talk about today, the Easter effect and how it can impact you. To begin with, along with a lot of other things, it's not just, you know, an American phenomenon, an American solo. Its effect is an international choir. It resulted in a vast chorus of believers from every nation of the world. Unlike what many are saying these days, that it's just a white man's religion. That's patently false. In fact, today, Christianity is growing by far the fastest. It's multiplying in Africa and India and in South America and, believe it or not, in places like Iran, where it's liberating women from the oppression of Islam, women who, who are now on fire and are leading an Iranian revival and thousands are coming to Christ. Such is a small part of the Easter effect. But what does it mean, you know, if not chocolate eggs? And how can it affect me personally? That is, why does it matter? First, what it means. The resurrection means very simply, to begin with, again, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He made some pretty outrageous claims, if you think about it, when he was here on the earth. He said things like, I'm God. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the savior of the world. A lot of people say he was just a good teacher. But 
if you think about it, a good teacher would never say that. I, I could go out and teach people all kinds of good moral truths, and they might say, Brian's a good teacher. But if I started, you know, calling myself God, you wouldn't think I'm a good teacher anymore. You'd call me crazy. That's what a brilliant professor named C.S. Lewis said. He's another voice uh, among the millions who have met him, among both uneducated and educated people. Lewis said that Jesus either was who he said he was, or he was the biggest liar who ever lived, or he was a lunatic. He said, I am God. He made some claims. And he said, what I'm going to do is validate who I am. One day Jesus cleared the money changers out of the temple. They, they had turned the temple into a kind of flea market, which happens to religion even to this day. They said, what right do you have to do this? He said, because I am God. And then they said, prove it. Just like we'd say today. And he said, I will. After you kill me, I'm going to come back to life three days later. He claimed to be God, and his resurrection backs up what he claimed to be. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father uh, except through me. That, that's a pretty strong claim. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am one way, or I'm a good way, or I'm one of the ways, unlike those today who say that all roads get to heaven. That's why he said, I am the truth. This means any other way is not the truth. He claimed to be God. He said, no one can get to the Father except through me. He's the way to God, and he's the ultimate reference point for truth. Even those who don't believe uh, uh, Christ Jesus is who he said he was still use him as the ultimate reference point. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. An apologist named another voice, Josh McDowell, added his voice when he said this. He pointed out that every time you write a check, every time you date a contract, every time you put down you know, an appointment in your smartphone, what's the reference point? 2,021 years from what? From the birth of Christ. How could, the, how could it be that 2,021 years later, we're still remembering his birth unless, unless he actually came to the earth? God came to the earth in the form of man so we could know uh, what God is like. And one way we know uh, he uh, is God is the way uh, he split history, the history of humanity into A.D. and B.C. Wherever you go in the world, every time you write a date, Jesus is the reference point. And in God's providence, this now points to him around the world, along with a whole lot else. What does the resurrection mean? One, Jesus is who he claimed to be. Two, it means Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. He said, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me because he is God and he can do everything God can do. In John 10, 18, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Either he's crazy or he's God. No force could keep Jesus in the tomb. They killed him. They put him in a tomb. They put a big stone uh, in front of it. They sealed it with a Roman seal. And then they posted a 24-hour Roman guard. 
But they were only trying to prevent the inevitable. Jesus said, they can't stop me. I can give my life away, and I've got the power to take it up again. <laughs> which, which might be where we got the phrase, you can't keep a good man down. <laughs> he was a good man. He was a perfect man. The resurrection means that he is who he claimed to be. And it means that he had the power that he claimed to have. And finally, it means that he did what he promised he would do. In Mark 10, 34, Jesus says, They will mock and flog and kill me, but after three days I will come back to life. William Morrison, a lawyer, talked about this in a book that he wrote, Who Moved the Stone? He really looked into this. He set out to disprove the resurrection. And he examined all the evidence, and he couldn't do it. And he, too, became another voice. He joined the choir by writing a book that the resurrection happened. He did what he promised. It's why the angel added his voice, too. He said to Mary, don't be frightened. I know what you, that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. But he isn't here. He came back to life just like he said uh, he would. That's what Easter means. He is who he said he was, and he has the power that he said he had, and he does what he says he will do. But what does it matter? What difference does it make? How can it affect me personally? Well, the pastor I told you about at the beginning said that the resurrection matters for three reasons. He summed up what a whole chorus of voices have been saying from the very beginning. The first reason is this. It's part of the, uh, it's part of the Easter effect that's inspired countless voices. Easter matters because my past can now be forgiven. This pastor said, have you ever gotten halfway through some project and wished you could start over? A lot of times people feel that way about their lives. People get halfway through life and they just wish they could start over. We've all done things we had wished we had not done. We've said things we wish we hadn't said. We've thought things that we know we shouldn't have thought. We've, we all have regrets. We all feel bad about things. We've all, truth be told, if we're honest, have guilt. This letter comes from a man who you might be able to relate to. It's from a man who ended up joining the choir too. He said, Dear Pastor, I'm 35 years old and divorced, though I fought the divorce bitterly. I feel bad. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and cry, but there's no one holding me when I cry. Nobody cares anymore. Having cha nothing changes, and I keep falling. I'm stressed out emotionally. I'm on the verge of a collapse. Something is very wrong. I feel so hurt and embittered that I can scarcely react or relate to other people anymore. Ever been there? I feel as if I'm going to have to sit out the rest of my life in the penalty box. <laughs> Tragedy is there are a lot of people like that, especially these days, when things are falling apart, apart culturally and socially in many ways. They can't get on with the present and the future because, for whatever reason, they're stuck in the past. Some guilt or regret has just kind of kept them tied down. Sometimes they're letting a former relationship mess up their current relationships because it's PTSD. They say, I guess I'm just going to have to live with this the rest of my life. They're running around with this emotional baggage and they're wondering why they're not happy. Here's the good news. 
This time, the voice of the Apostle Paul. In Colossians 2.14, he says, He has forgiven all our sins and canceled every debt we owe. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. One pastor called it God's pardon program. Jesus nailed it all to the cross. He, he paid for my guilt, which means I don't have to pay for it. It's like the African-American gospel song goes, he, he was hung up for my hang-ups. He was nailed to the cross, so you can quit nailing yourself to the cross. You can quit beating yourself up. He wants to forgive your past. He wants to cancel every debt that you owe, emotional debts, relational debts, sins, all canceled. And then he wants to make it possible for you not to do the same things again. The Bible says there is no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ. If you're a baby boomer, you may remember having an Etch-A-Sketch. I used to love those things. What happened if you messed up the picture? Well, you just flipped it over, shook it, turned it back over, and it's like there's a totally clean slate. This is the Bible's Etch-A-Sketch verse. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. He wants to wipe your slate clean. You can walk out of here today knowing that every single thing you've ever done wrong until this point is completely forgiven. That's good news. That's news you can use. No condemnation. This pastor said that Jesus Christ did not come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I want to change you. I want to help you. I want to give you a new beginning. And it's, it's going to start by giving you a new conscience. But the resurrection matters not just because my past can now be forgiven. It matters because my present problems can now be managed. Such, so much of life is like totally unmanageable. When we were raising kids, I used to read an author who wrote about child-rearing. His name was Charlie Shedd. Maybe some of you have read him. He said this, before we had kids, I used to travel across the country doing a lecture I called The Ten Commandments of Raising Perfect Kids. <laughs> After we had our first child, I changed the title to Ten Hints for Parents. After our second child, I relabeled the lecture A Few Tentative Suggestions for Fellow Strugglers. Then after the arrival of our third child, I gave up speaking on the topic altogether. <laughs> you might apply that to managing life as well. Someone said maturity is when you figure out that you can't figure it all out. Maturity is when you realize you can't manage all that life is going to send your way. But God can. And that's good news. I can't control everything in my life, but God can. So I want to hook up with him and let him control it through live contact with him as I ask him for, for help. That's all you got to do. So many people these days feel that their life is out of control. I meet them all the time. They feel powerless to change their situation, uh, to break a bad habit, to save a relationship, to get out of debt, whatever it might be, to manage my time and my schedule. And then on top of all that, you know, COVID came. If you're anything like me, what you need is a power that's greater than yourself. We are never meant to live this life 
on our own power. That's not the way we were created. God wants you to live in live contact with him as your power source. And if you've strayed from him, he wants you back. And if you've not, he wants you to stay connected. And here's the good news of what that means. Paul adds his voice again when he says in Ephesians 1.19, how incredibly great is, the po- is his power to help those who believe him, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the Easter effect. The same power that enabled Jesus to rise from death will help you rise from your problems. The same power that God used at the resurrection more than 2,000 years ago can be used in your life right now as it has in millions and millions of others around the world. You don't know what the future holds. I don't either. I don't know what will happen next year or next month or next week or tomorrow. And neither do you. But that doesn't matter because though it's out of my control, it's not out of God's control. He'll give me the power to face it as I turn to him. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I am ready for anything through the strength of Christ who lives in me. I want to help out, God says. Some of you may have come, you know, crawling in here today, or maybe you were barely able to press the remote to tune into this. You've had a tough week. got a tough life. And God's saying to you, don't give up. Don't give up until I get there. No problem is bigger than God can handle. No situation is helpless if you'll just turn it all over to him. I am ready for anything by the power of positive thinking. Is that what Paul said? Through, I, I am ready for anything by psyching myself up. No, I for one have had enough of that. No, he said, I I am ready for anything through the strength of Christ who lives in me. Just like the video said, life can be overwhelming, filled with division, filled with fear, filled with uncertainty, filled with disappointment and confusion. But in the face of all these, there is one who overcame it all from death to life. Why does the resurrection matter? Because my past can be forgiven. And my present can now be managed. And finally, because my future is now secure. Or it can be. Death is dead for all who believe. That's what we said in the responsive reading. It's one of the universal problems that we've all got. Let's face it, everybody dies. I'm going to die someday, and so are you. Only a fool would go through life unprepared for something that he knows is inevitable. But we generally live in denial of death. That doesn't make sense. Sometimes we get so busy in the here and now, we don't stop to think about what's to come. Fact is, everybody has a deep internal longing to know what's going to happen after I die. It's obvious we're going to spend more time on that side of eternity than on this side. Here here we only spend 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. This is just the first quarter inch of the yardstick or of a measure that goes on into eternity. 
This is just preschool for what's going to happen up there. And what is going to happen? Well, there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven, you know, that it's full of harps and clouds and weightless angels and nothing to do but keep your nose clean. And who would ever want to go there? What's it going to be like, really? Well, to find the answer to that question, you need to check out the source, to go to the Bible, to what God says heaven and hell are really going to be like. And this is news you can really use. It's essential because one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to need to give him the right answers. And he's been wooing you all your life. You've seen it. A few years ago, I wrote a book on heaven. And I've added my voice too. And I learned that even a whole book can't even begin to scratch the surface of what's there. But over it all, and through it all, and under it all, it is a perfect place. A place of total love, total peace, total joy, total perfection. No sin, no mistakes, no bad, no evil, no mourning, no tears, the Bible says. It is perfect in every way. But the second thing the Bible says is this. In order to get there, you've got to be perfect because you'd spoil it otherwise. Because only perfection can exist in heaven. So you're thinking right now, oh, well, thanks a lot. That pretty much leaves me out. Well, yeah, and it leaves me out too. You say, I'll never make it if I have to be perfect. Right. That's the point. Neither will I. Neither will any of us because none of us is perfect. We've all really messed up. There are two ways the Bible says that you can get to heaven. Plan A is that you need to earn it. That's what one pastor called the uh, performance plan. And to earn it, you only have to do this. Never sin and always do what is right the entire time that you live. Always make the right decision. Always say the right thing. Never say the wrong thing. Just, just be perfect. He said uh, it would be as if they changed the rules you know, for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And to get into it, you had to bat 1,000 and play error-free ball for your entire career. That's it. Even the best don't get more than 300. Well, since none of us can qualify for plan A, God came up with plan B, which is this. You trust Jesus Christ when he says, I am the way to heaven and the truth and the life. He was the only perfect person who ever lived because he was God. He came so that we could know the perfection of what God is like and what God expects. And by trusting and establishing a relationship with him, it's like you get in on his goodness. In God's eyes. The Bible says that if you just have faith in him, God reckons you as righteous legally, and he will work in your life practically to make you like him, to ready you for heaven and to get you there through the power of the resurrection. Like the apostle Peter said, he added his voice too, we have been born again into a life full of hope through Christ rising from the dead. What does Easter mean? One, everything you've ever done in the past can be per completely forgiven. Two, you can acquire a new power that will help you manage your present problems. And three, your future can now be secure. 
such as the Easter effect. But just understanding this is not enough. It'll only affect you if you do something about it. You've got to take an action step. And the action step is this, just adding your voice. And that happens first by praying to God. By praying, God, I'm scrapping plan A, and I know I'll never earn my way to heaven. I know I'll never be good enough. I've already blown it enough times to know that I'm not going to make the, you know, this 100% thing. I'm, so I'm asking you to work plan B into my life. Jesus Christ, I want to trust you, to follow you, to get to know you, and have a relationship with you, to have live contact with your power. That's how you do it. That's how Easter can make a difference in your life. Is it possible that you're not here today, virtually or actually, by accident? I believe God brought you here. He brought you here so he could communicate with you, so he could get you to finally sit still for a few minutes, so he could say something to you, so you could hear his voice through the chorus of voices that we have heard from around the world today. The last thing the pastor I mentioned said at the beginning, the last thing he said was this. Your background may be Jewish or Catholic or Protestant or Mormon or Baptist or Buddhist. Doesn't matter what your background is. We're not talking about religion. Thank goodness. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Easter is all about. God knows you, and he wants you to know him, to come with an open heart and say, God, here I am. Some of you may have been close to God, but you've drifted away. Doesn't matter how far away you are, nobody will love you as much as God still loves you. So much so that in Isaiah 54, 7, he says, with deep love, I will welcome you back. He's welcoming and inviting to all who will just come. We're all at different levels in our spiritual journey. Some of you aren't sure you're going to heaven when you die. You need to make that sure. Some of you need to recommit your life to the Lord. Whoever you are, let's have a moment of silence. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's going to single you out or make you raise your hand so you can relax. Maybe you're not sure if you'll get to heaven if you died. Would you add your voice deep in your heart? You do that first by talking to him, by saying something like this in your heart. Join me if you've heard his voice calling you today. Pray this, Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to save me today. I'm putting my total trust in you and I want to follow you. I believe that you died to pay the penalty for my sin so I could be with you forever. So I now repent of my sins and ask you into my heart. With your head still bowed, maybe others of you have drifted away from Christ. God wants to say to you, as he does in the Bible, with deep love, I will draw you back. Would you add your voice would you say silently to yourself, Jesus, I'm coming home today. 
I want to get it in gear again. I want to stop playing, playing Mickey Mouse and put you first in my life. Finally, I'm sure some of you are barely hanging on. You've been discouraged, you've been depressed, you've been despondent. The pressure and the stress of it all has been building up this past week or this past month or maybe for the whole year or longer, and you feel overwhelmed. Well, God brought you here today so he could say to you, pray this deep in your heart, he, so he could say, give it all to me. Let go and let me work in your life. So would you add your voice? Start by talking to him. Start your new path. Just pray this in your heart. Dear Lord, I want to give you these problems I'm facing. I give you my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Fill me with your hope and your presence and your power forever and ever. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If your life happens to be sunshiny, if you're walking in the sun and walking with him, I'd say more power to you. More resurrection power to you as you stay humbly, dependently, daily, moment by moment in live contact with him. You can sum up our side of it with one simple prayer. One that I've prayed many times over the years. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I have a problem. It's me. And you can sum up his side of it with one simple answer. Dear child, I have the solution. It's me. It's the solution for all mankind. He's been speaking all around the world from the beginning. Like our kids sing, red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious, equal in his sight. Because far from being a white man's religion, the Bible says that one day men and women from every tribe and people and tongue and nation, all the voices that have ever confessed him will join their voices, as we're going to do right now, to adore him, to praise him, that he is who he says he is.